right, great to see everyone. Blessings to all of you as we make our way into this new year. Uh, we're kicking off a new year, new message series. Uh, we're excited about it, Healthy Love. That's what we're calling it. It's designed to have uh, an effect on us at three levels. One, in terms of our relationship with God, uh, our, one of our goals here is that we might have a more sustainable, thriving life as a follower of Jesus. Secondly, in our relationship with ourselves, that we might learn how to live immersed in God's love. We're talking about having his love at the center of our life in such a way that our core identity and self-understanding is shaped by it. And then thirdly, and I think this is something that many of us are going to gain a lot of practical insight around our relationship to others. And, you know, we can all love people better, can't we? Especially those who are, are closest to us, but also our friends and coworkers and those the Lord leads across our path. So this is a very relevant and I hope meaningful series that we're going to explore together. Just this idea of healthy love. And of course, that's going to lead us naturally to Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about <laughs> our great example of how to exercise healthy love. There's no better one to look at than Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself is love personified. And he walked the earth to reveal the depth and the breadth and the height and the width of God's love, a love that's patient and kind. And it was full of trust and hope, patient endurance. And it, yeah, a love that we can experience firsthand. And that's going to affect every interaction of our lives. So healthy love is described very specifically in what is sometimes referred to as the great love chapter in the Bible. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I, I'm not assuming everyone would be familiar with this amazing chapter. Uh, maybe you are just brand new to exploring Christ or coming to Jesus, and you never really have heard this, uh, this chapter read before. But the odds are, if you've ever been to a wedding or <laughs> some type of a gathering where love is discussed, 1 Corinthians 13 will come up. And uh, it's, it's just a beautiful chapter, and I'm going to have us read through it in a moment. But I want to pray God's blessing over what we're about to share. And Lord, as we start into this new series, in a way we're making a journey into this year. And I just ask that you would cause us to be as open as possible to the words that you would have, have us to embrace and the promptings that your spirit would bring to us. And I'm just by faith praying into all the life that's going to come through what we are sharing together in these coming weeks and months. And so I just ask for your goodness and grace to touch us. Even now, Lord, we want to be open to your overtures of love. And I just pray this in your name. Amen. So let me just start by reading the, the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, as we, we call it. And uh, I'm going to read from the ESV. If I speak, the Apostle Paul writes, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's, it's, it's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away. Oh, I just gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's just settle for a moment into that 13th verse until the completeness, until the time that is ahead of all of us, the day of new body and the day of new soul. Think about that between now and then between where we are in this life and what is to come to all of us in the life, which is to come between the now and and then in, in the apostles writing to believers, those who've welcomed Jesus into their lives, he says, there's three guiding principles, 13, 13, faith, hope, and love. And I just want to, if we can take a moment to think about each of these faith. What is that? It's a reminder that we are to steadily trust in God. Can't separate the idea of trust and faith. We are called to continue to exercise faith to come, you know, no matter what happens to us, come what may, because we are told in the Bible that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. We must place our trust and confidence in him and in the promise of his goodness steadily. Listen, not emotionally. We're to walk by faith. The Bible says not by sight. You know, faith is not anti-emotions, but it doesn't budge when the feelings wilt because it has roots. There's a, there's a rootedness. Some seeds grow quickly, but they perish because of lack of depth. Jesus taught us. But when seeds are growing in deeply in faith and in trust, it's capable of going through anything. So again, these three faith, hope, and love. We touched, just talked about faith. What about hope? We're reminded always to be a people of hope, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how bad things get, we are invited to stay anchored in optimism, to be very sure like the old hymn says that your anchor holds and grips that solid rock, right? That rock is Jesus. 
It's still coming back to my mind after all these years when I was a boy. I remember growing up in church hearing that hymn sung. It was called In Times Like These. Think about, I just listen to these lyrics. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. That's the life of faith we're talking about. One more stanza goes like this. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. I always love that. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. It captures two absolutely essential part, parts of the growing life, right, with Christ. Being a person who puts in the energy and the effort. There's a, a motivation and a desire to not just be, you know, whatever, whatever, passive. There's a commitment to pursuing the things of God. And then it's built around the Bible. I love that. We should all be familiarizing ourselves with God's word to have his words hidden in our heart. And you want to talk about how love grows. I mean, our love for God will grow when we hide his word in our hearts. You know, I was thinking about that, that, that hymn that I just referred to here uh, in times like these. You know, it was written, I did a little research on it. The song was actually composed during the fearful days at the height of World War II when despair over the war was everywhere. That year was 1943. Seemed to many that during this time, the, while the Allies were bogged down in Italy and other countries and the war was going nowhere, no one knew for sure how things were going to, to turn out. Uh, the world economies were at breaking points. There was rationing everywhere. I know we think we have it hard or that these are tough times that we've just walked through. And I'm not diminishing the fact that they really were difficult times. I'll talk about that in a moment. But there have been other eras, even in our nation's history, where people have had to walk through incredibly difficult periods and uh, you know, World War II is one of those times where no one really knew for sure if it was going to get better. Anyway, it was out of that atmosphere that a pastor's wife in Pennsylvania, um, who was a homemaker, a woman named Ruth K. Jones, was drawn to 2 Timothy 3, which says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And as she read that chapter, a song began composing in our head in times like these, we need a savior. The one that I just referred to be very sure your anchor holds. In fact, while she was reading, uh, second Timothy three, the passage that initially inspired her, the words, uh, show that at the back of her mind, she may have been influenced by another passage in the Bible, Hebrews six nineteen, which says this hope, there it is. We have as an anchor of our soul both sure and steadfast. Uh, and I, I think part of what caught me there, you know, faith, hope, and love, but when we're talking about hope here and difficult times, maybe we had those times in our lives right now. I know from a broader perspective, it's helpful to remember that others have walked through perilous times. And there are people all over the world who are experiencing a tremendous amount of, of difficulty and suffering 
And that doesn't mean that we should deny when we are having it hard, but at the same time, we can remind ourselves that there have been others who have suffered greatly, who have had difficulty and have learned to trust and keep their hope in God. Even that's happening right now as well in other places of the world. But I mean, look, I think all of us know that our world's economy, it's a, it's a little shaky right now. And part of that is because we're coming off of a, off of, of a pandemic and, and we still have a war going on <laughs> in Ukraine. It's, it's crazy. And inflation, as we make our way into this new year, is, is higher than it's been in, in, in decades. Companies are laying off workers. I've talked to more than a, a few of you about some of that. I'm reading a lot about it as well. There's, there's downsizing going on. They're thinning the ranks out. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking about the inflation and, and downsizing and what's happening right now. And it reminded me of a cartoon that I saw a few weeks back. And I, I showed it to my wife uh, and we just both started laughing. It, it goes like this. There's, this. there's a picture of it. it. There's this very serious dad. He's sitting at a table with his mom, with, with their mom and, and the four kids. They're all around this table and they're listening to their, the dad with rapt attention. And he says, I've called the family together. And yeah, because of inflation, um, I'm going to have to let two of you go. <laughs> so I, so, but the way that they, it was captured, it was, just made me laugh. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I'm reminded that we're in, an, we're in an unusual time, aren't we? It's a tough time. And... It's, it's not easy sometimes to keep our, our spirit optimistic and hopeful. And yet that's exactly what the Lord wants us to cultivate. And now abide these three, faith, hope, and this brings us to love. Because the greatest of these is love. Love is the best, <laughs> right? As Nacho Libre would say, it's the best. <laughs> it's the greatest of these is love. And we're, we are encouraged to love <laughs> extravagantly, aren't we? Beyond, and what does that mean? Beyond what is expected or deserved, to love like Jesus. You know, I want to go back. Go back. Let's go back to the opening verses in the chapter. Because I don't, I mean, we read them, but they're intense. And if you really consider what the apostle is saying about the nature of love compared to some of the things he refers to, it's super intense. Let me read this through one more time. Let's connect here. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, we just talked about faith. So as I can, I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And then this, incredibly, if I give away, think about this, all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, what? You talk about sacrificing for the Lord? But if I have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, you think about this. Think about what is being referred to here. First thing, deep spirituality. Then there's deep knowledge, deep faith, deep giving, and then ultimate deep sacrifice. All of those things, what he's saying, all of those things apart from love 
are diminished. I mean, this really is a great challenge for our times to not become, yeah, I'm just going to say it, to not become angry or so defensive over truth as Jesus defined it. Because I just, seeing what's going on in the culture, I'm reminded that the ways of God are being deeply disrespected, minimized, and that the, the way of Jesus is, is in some ways being disrespected. And, you know, when, when we see it trampled on, I can use this phrase, spit on, dismissed, disregarded, it's very tempting to become unloving, isn't it? Uh, and yet we must, as followers of Jesus, that's who I'm talking to right now, we must check this tendency to become angry because the Bible, the scriptures remind us that even if we're angry, we are not to sin. We, but that, and what, that, what is that partly telling us is we, we just can't be defined by anger. We, we have to stay committed to the way of love. We have to. We don't have a choice, not if we're going to follow Jesus. And that's no easy thing. And, and we're, going to, we're going to need the Lord's help sometimes to do it well, especially when you feel like you're being treated unfairly, uh, you're angry, we're angry. Uh, it can happen in our closest relationships, not just in terms of culture. We're going to have to anchor ourselves in love. And, uh, well, let's just say it this way. God is love. Biblical love. Oh, I need, and I need to qualify this a little bit because biblical love, this needs to be noted as well, is not the kind of love that our present culture is advocating. There are some overlaps, of course, but there are huge uh, titanic differences. You know, at present, so I just mentioned, you, God doesn't want us to be an angry person. So, we still need to pray for our nation and our leaders and for what's happening around us. But that doesn't mean that we have to agree that everything's good when it goes in an opposite direction of what the, the Lord tells us is good. And one of the things about our present culture's understanding of love, and I'm going to call this unhealthy love, it's that it's primarily based on two things. Now, just stay with me here. One of those things that... I'll call our culture's idea of love, and I don't think it's healthy. But one of those things is a supercharged me orientation. And that doesn't mean we're exempt from it, but this is what's really modeled and placed on a platform, is this idea of it, it, self-consumed, self centered approach to love that glorifies feelings, glorifies self-definition and unrestrained self-expression as the basis of love's reality. And that's just so contrary to the way of Jesus. The second thing our culture does when it comes to love that is not healthy is it, ha is it characterized by an un an insistence on a kind of hyper non-judgmental toleration that defies anything less than affirmation as affirming. 
Now, the reason this is an issue, because this kind of love, that kind of love that our culture is aggressively advocating is the kind of love, if you, if you read the scriptures, that is at best going to under-deliver and create anxiety and all kinds of problems. Because, and at its worst, it's going to, well, it's going to bring not just a little bit of pain, a lot of pain, and even existential confusion. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. When you have a confused sense of love, it will show up in confusion in our own heart and lives. And no amount of cultural manipulation is going to replace God's love. You can't do it. So I wanted to say that, not as one who is angry, but one who is at least noting the difference between the kind of love that the scriptures and Jesus model for us and teach us and what we're being taught in our culture and the product of the culture's uh, unhealthy love is showing up everywhere. I mean, suicide rates are off the chart. Anxiety, off the chart. People are over, just overwhelmed, disillusioned, trying to find themselves in ways that will never produce the type of peace they long for. It's just everything that Jesus taught us, is, is, we're watching it unfold in front of our eyes. But listen, a life that is aligned with God's love I mean, it, well, a love that is, a love that is aligned with God's love. How about that? Is, is full of life. It's a wellspring of life. Many waters cannot quench it as we're told in the Song of Solomon. I think that's eight, seven. But what is healthy love? What is healthy love? Maybe one way to better understand it is to contrast unhealthy love and healthy love. I mean, I kind of alluded to that earlier in terms of the culture, but I want to, I want to go back to something we opened up with because I talked about three kinds of love, self-love, relational love, and spiritual love. And uh, if I could just start with self-love, I think there is such a thing as healthy self-love. And that's something that God wants us to grow in seeing ourselves as valuable, even in our flawed <laughs> condition. We remind ourselves that we are loved by God. We are the beloved. So that's healthy to remind ourselves that we are not to live in shame and, and guilt. Uh, instead, we are to surrender to his grace, right? That's, that's healthy love. Healthy self-love is a good thing. It's hard to love others, as, a, as Jesus taught us, as a, we would love ourselves if we don't know how to love ourselves well. But that's not being self-consumed, and it really does lead us into what is unhealthy self-love. Because when it's self-consumed, when, when love becomes self-consumed, it does tremendous damage. And not, not just to ourselves, but to other people. You know, like in the Greek mythology, there's, some of us remember this. Uh, there's the story of Narcissus and the water, right? But it's where we get our word narcissistic. <clears throat> I remember seeing a picture, I think it was a Caravaggio's uh, rendering of this moment, but you know, the story is that one day, Narcissus chanced to see his own reflection in a pool of water and thus 
discovered the ultimate in unrequited love and, f and he fell in love with himself. And naturally this one-way relationship went nowhere and narcissists, think of, this is, this is the this part of the story that's just so spot on. Narcissists, unable to draw himself away from the pool that he saw his reflection in because he fell in love with it, pined away in despair until he finally died of thirst and star starvation. I mean, it's a terrific illustration. So we need to have a healthy self-love, but not an unhealthy, unhealthy one. In relationships, this, can, this is also true. In relationships, healthy love is a beautiful thing to have positive regard, caring kindness, to be a person of trust who gives and serves. You know, but when love is unhealthy, here's the flip, right? When love is unhealthy, it becomes what? Possessive, suspicious, codependent. And it's consumed with what it's getting, right? So there, and that does just huge damage to relationships because relationships flourish in the garden of healthy love and they, they die when unhealthy love that is built around these, these kinds of characteristics where there's suspicion and possessiveness and uh, a need to enable the other even if it is something that's destructive and almost it can unhealthy love of course is expressed relationally when one person is willing to stay in a place that's very unhealthy because in their mind bad love is better than no love see that's unhealthy love and god calls us to be a people of healthy love and so much of what we re read about and read about in first corinthians 13 is talking about how that can grow inside of us. And then that brings us to the, the third one, spiritual. We're talking about spiritual love. And there is such a thing as healthy spiritual love, and there's such a thing as unhealthy spiritual love. In the same way that there is healthy self-love and unhealthy self-love, and there's healthy relational love and unhealthy relational love, there's healthy spiritual love. And we're talking about when we have spiritual life-giving love at work in our lives, that kind of love for God is humble. Think about it. What are the qualities of that kind of love? What are the characteristics of it? It's humble. It's grateful. It's secure. It's grace-filled. It leans towards mercy. Yeah. But un unhealthy love usually goes in two directions both of which are not good. I'm talking about when it comes to God and a healthy love for God. I'm talking spiritual right now. One of the unhealthy directions it can go is, is to become rule-based, fearful, guilt-ridden, insecure, exacting, with a tendency towards judgmentalism. So that's one direction unhealthy spiritual love can go. You know, unhealthy love for God can go. And some of us have grown up in environments like that, and it's been very bad. Like we're still recovering from that. And there are people who've been injured because people had unhealthy love for God and the kinds of things that came out didn't seem to be that loving at all and seemed to be unaligned or misaligned with the things that Jesus modeled. So we're not talking about that. That's one aspect of unhealthy love when it's expressed that way. But the other aspect of unhealthy love for God is when it becomes consumed with tolerance 
So that's the other polar, other side of the, of, of the spectrum. When it becomes consumed with tolerance to a point where it disregards truth as the scriptures and Jesus taught and seeks only to accommodate. And it's so, I mean, if the other one is hyper judgmental, this one is hyper non-judgmental, almost like somehow they want to be more loving than Jesus. And that, you know, in, in the form, in the case of the former, the first one I referred to, it, it's really a love for God that lacks mercy and compassion. And it's just, uh, just death dealing and suffocating and painful. Right. But in the case of the latter it's a love for God that lacks a concern for truth and righteousness as God defines it. And like I said, it, it, it ends up creating a kind of uh, environment where there's, there's no true stability. There's just, everything is, is just accommodated. And that's not how Jesus modeled love. Love doesn't close its eyes. Love doesn't agree something is good when it's not. Love doesn't pretend. Love doesn't placate. Love doesn't accommodate when things are injurious. Love, love doesn't uh, walk in its own counsel. It, it lives in the counsel of, of the Lord. And so, you know, the bottom line is this. Loved one, <laughs> we're all loved is that God wants us to grow in healthy love. And to grow in healthy love, he wants us to do this, you know, in terms of for ourselves, so that we're neither, listen, self-consumed or self-loathing. He wants us to grow in healthy love for others, especially those closest to us. Remember, that's the second great commandment, to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor, to love people. Someone says, oh, I love God, but I, I, I have a hard time with people. <laughs> Come on now. Can't do that. And the third one is to grow in healthy love with God in Christ so that we have depth and a genuine life with Jesus. That is a goal, right? So much so that we begin, listen, we want to grow in love with him to such a degree that there's a genuineness to our life in terms of how it represents Jesus that we begin to take on by the power of his spirit at work in us in ways natural and unforced, his characteristics and his joyful qualities. So our goal in the coming weeks, yeah, and, and next month or so, is to engage 1 Corinthians 13 in a way that is transformative. Yeah, so that we may have beautiful words awakened in us by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so that we, we might cultivate a, how can I say this, a beautiful and lyrical garden of the soul. I want us to, to grow a beautiful soul. And we do that um, by staying in love with Jesus and learning how to love like Jesus. And the closer we get to him, the more it's going to show up. So Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to begin this series with this teaching. And as we make our way into this closing song, uh, I just ask that our hearts would be just wide open. Fill us with your love, <laughs> your goodness and grace. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. So here we go.
good is that, right? You know, the Lord wants us to be filled with his love. A point of overflowing. And he wants that love to be so real, the love of Christ so real in our lives that it changes who we are, that we start to take on the characteristics and qualities of Jesus. It affects how we understand ourselves and love ourselves in healthy ways, not destructive ways. It affects how we love God, right? And, and how that love shows up in our lives. And then of course it affects how we love people, especially the people who God's given to us as sacred entrustments, those who are closest to us. I mean, I, I call that the first circle. We wanna have, we wanna have love for the world. We wanna have love for strangers. We wanna have love for neighbors. It, it, those whom we have limited relationships with, we certainly want to have, have growing love for the people we work with and, and share life with and friends, but we got to have love show up in our family and, and in ways that are evident and meaningful. 
because where love, where the love of Christ is, beautiful things grow. And I know the Lord wants to grow beautiful things around our lives. He does. We're not perfect. Never will be. I'm not. Not close to it. I know I disappoint him. I don't always love well, but I want to grow. I want to grow into his likeness. And that's my prayer for all of you. May we continue to grow in the love of Jesus. And may he keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your body, in your mind, in your soul. Ah, in every way, may you be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray this, Lord. Amen.